This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and Brian Murphy. What is up? Welcome to the show. Jeff, Eric, and Brian with you here on a frigid Wednesday night here in Central Florida. It's below 70 degrees. That means it's time to get the fleeces out. That means we're going to have beautiful weather for, for football on Saturday, boys. Football weather here in Central Florida just in time for the last home game of the season. Can you feel me on that one? Yeah, it's the real frozen tundra of Orlando, Florida. <laughs> We should have nice weather for, for that game on, on Saturday. It's high as 79, intervals of clouds and sunshine. It should be gorgeous for that 3.30 kick against the Cincinnati Bearcats. We will be previewing that a little bit later in the show. We're joined by Clayton Truder of, uh, of our SB Nation sister site covering the Cincinnati Bearcats, downthedrive.com. Uh, and we will also uh, get, ready, get you ready for a little bit of hoops. Um, with the women's basketball team uh, start with their opener a week from when we are recording the show. We're recording this Wednesday night, November the 18th. Um, not expecting very much news from the NBA draft tonight other than um, oh, the, the Memphis kid got picked. The Memphis kid. There's two <laughs> Memphis kids. Jesus. You got James Wiseman and Precious Achua. That's right. Precious- uh, that's right. Both, uh, both James Wiseman and Precious Achua got picked, so. But Precious Chua would be the only one that UCF fans actually saw in action last right, year. Right, right. Because because if there's one thing James Wiseman will not be known for, it's having played at Memphis. <laughs> but anyway, uh, and a little bit later on, and uh, to, we'll, to wrap up the show, we'll go back over uh, Eric's uh, listicle, 25 greatest home games at the bounce house in UCF uh, history. So, um, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. There was a little bit of internal discussion on that one too. Elo wasn't there. Yeah. So I'm fired up. Like where games should be ranked and you know, stuff like that. Like my colleague there, Andrew Glutkoff, who of course we're, we're going to be on night shift there. We'll talk about that later. Not happy with some of my rankings, but that's okay. Well, if you're unhappy with the rankings, you can reach out to us on Twitter at UCF underscore Banneret, <laughs> Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret, or BlackandGoldBanneret.com. You can also email us at BlackandGoldBanneret at gmail.com. Uh, with that, let us get going with our preview of UCF against Cincinnati. The Knights and the Bearcats. Game opened up as a three-point spread favoring the Bearcats. It has since jumped up to 5.5, and 68% of the money is on Cincy. This is the first time Jeremy Brenner brought this up. This is the first time UCF has been a home dog since the Tulsa game in 2016, almost four years ago. Um, boy, that's a long time. Uh, this is it. This is the uh, this is the unstoppable force meets the uh, immovable object. When you look at the stats uh, between these two teams, it's the number one scoring offense in UCF in the American against Cincinnati, which is the number one scoring defense in the American. Number one total offense, UCF. Number one total defense, Cincinnati. Cincinnati, interestingly enough, they're the number one rushing offense in the league. UCF is third. Um, Cincinnati, not that good in terms of pass offense, but UCF is, of course, number one. But Cincinnati's number one in pass defense. Um, Yeah, so (laughs) uh, this is – it's – this is these are these two teams. I really do think, you know, uh, due respect to Tulsa, due respect to SMU, 
I do think that in in our heart of hearts, this is the these are the two best teams in the American facing up on Saturday uh, at three thirty on um, ESPN. Murph, you've been uh, following things since. Uh, obviously, you always well, of course, you're always following everything uh, that closely. But an impressive performance for uh, UCF against Temple, but it was against Temple. They jumped out quickly, twenty one three, and then kind of, and then I felt like. Like they kind of put it in, put it in the right lane on fifty five on cruise control the rest of the way. Um, now, why they did that, I don't know. Probably, you know, not wanting to put too much on film for Cincinnati, um, and we're and obviously we're still waiting on some other things having to do with the game. But your sense heading into this week of uh, of what what UCF feels like they need to do in this game. Well, you know, it's funny, Jeff. Is you know when you enter this kind of week. You're really amped more than usual. I'm speaking from a media standpoint to like really talk to the players and coaches, because sometimes with the with games like this on the horizon, you'll get some really good sound bites. Remember when UCF played Tulsa earlier this year? Going into that game, Dylan Gabriel had that had a line about how he remembers the game from last year against Tulsa, and, and you know he, and he's never forgotten it. And it was all in. He made his desire to get retribution very public and very known. And, of course, he didn't get it because he was in laws yeah, that game. It didn't exactly besides, work out. Besides the point, uh, I will say that this week has been extremely dull. <laughs> <laughs> the, the guys have been asked repeatedly about, you know, since that, since the Cincinnati game last year, you know, up there where they lost. Uh, and, you know, what does it feel like to really be the hunter instead of the hunt? which is a position that UCF has not found itself in really often at all in the last four years. And no one has taken the bait. No one has put up any bulletin board material. Uh, they've all said cliches and platitudes. And I, I think that's fine. I think fans are, are fine with that because it shows that they're focused on this game. I, I think overall there there's two very clear ideas or one a clear idea coming out of each camp, coming out of UCF and Cincinnati. UCF... If they're not, even if they're not willing to say it, knows very well what this game means, uh, and that you know by by somehow some way they are still alive in the, in the title race for the conference. And they also remember last year at Cincinnati, and they would like to get revenge for that game. They won't say it, but I know that game has been fresh in their minds. Uh, and for Cincinnati, this is still a game where they feel like they need to prove themselves. Uh, uh, you know, Luke Fickle has talked about. UCF being the best team in the league and that they have a championship and we don't. So while Cincinnati is the team that's favored here, I think Cincinnati also feels like it still needs to prove, they still have something to prove, and UCF is feeling like they have some revenge to hand out. And so we'll see which narrative wins out on Saturday night. Yeah, this definitely feels like, from from the Cincinnati perspective, it feels like they feel like they can finally wrest the belt from UCF. You know what I mean? To use a... Uh, to use a pro wrestling metaphor, which I know you guys are really excited that I'm able to use. Um, a couple of interesting numbers I found out from this game as I was looking it up, Eric Lopez. Um, UCF is 1-5 one and, one and five against the spread in their last six games. Cincinnati is 5-1 and one against the spread in their, uh, in their last six games. And also I found this bit to be um, interesting. Since the uh, incident that occurred just prior to the Houston game, all right, Prior to that, UCF's defense was allowing more than 33 points per game. UCF's defense was allowing that. 
In those two games, and yes, I know it's Houston and Temple, but still, UCF's defense has allowed 13.5 points per game. So next man up seems to be working pretty well, doesn't it? Yeah, but this is a different animal now. This yeah, I know, this I know. This is not a depleted Temple roster you're dealing with. This is a Cincinnati team that – I mean, look, I think these are the two most talented teams in the league. Uh, I do agree with that. I can't say they're the two best teams because Tulsa's beaten UCF twice. Um, so I got to respect Tulsa, what they're doing. But nonetheless, this is the heavyweight title fight. And Luke Fickle, you guys mentioned it. He says, hey, UCF's still the most talented team. And the American Conference Championship has basically gone through UCF since he's been there. This is a huge game. Um, I just think because – I mean, you can't take away from UCF has still been the most talented team in this league. Um, and they have done an unbelievable job in this league. And for the most part, since I've been in it, it you know, I've seen Memphis won last year, but it's had to go through UCF. And, you know, that's just a reality behind it. And now to go down there and to, to have the situation that we have, I mean, we, this is a huge game, and we've got to play really, really well um, on the road um, in probably one of our, our, our toughest tests. All right, that was Luke Fickle from Media Availability earlier this week. And, I think there's a lot of respect here. I think it's uh, it's. I think both teams know what the other can do. I think this is a nice, fun rivalry potentially here, uh, and we know the matchups here. And I think to me, there are three categories when you break this game down that I'm going to keep a close eye on on Saturday. And what's so fascinating about these two teams? You look at compared to last year's game and into this game. Game. There's a lot of similarities here. Number one, red zone, Cincinnati. Are you ready for this stat? This blows me away. Teams have had gone to the red zone against Cincinnati's defense 19 times this year. They've only given up six touchdowns. Six. That's pretty good. 31%. That's one of the best in the country. They're top 10 in the country in red zone defense. And, guys, one of the concerns here is UCF's red zone offense. They're not great in the red zone. And you go back to last year's game, UCF had six red zone opportunities, Mm -hmm. only scored one touchdown. I think that's one big factor in this game, to me, that worries me about this matchup from that standpoint. Now, you mentioned, Jeff, the defense. Yes, they've been playing a lot better. But this is a Cincinnati running game that I don't think UCF has seen with Houston or Temple. This running game with Desmond Ritter, we'll talk about that more with our guest later on. It's a running game that's physical. They're going to they're gonna be at UCF. And I think the key category for the def- defense, third down conversions. I don't know if people realize this. Cincinnati offensively, 52% third down conversions, 14th best in, the, in, in college football. I don't think people realize that. And what that means is they're moving the chains, they're playing long drives, and they're keeping their defense fresh. And that's something that the UCF defense, when they've struggled, they've been having a hard time getting off the field on third downs. And I think that's a key category there. So to me, Jeff, that's what we're going to learn a lot about this defense this week is can they get off the field? I know we're going to talk about Desmond Ritter. Can they contain him? Do you put a spy on him? But can they put get off the field on third downs and get their team the ball back uh, and have more frequent possessions because that's one of the things Cincinnati is going to do they're going to try to shorten this game and play it on their terms uh with Desmond Ritter and his ability to be a dual threat yeah third down you by the way UCF's defense third down conversion percentage uh they're tied for 63 in the country yeah. uh at about 41 percent allowed which is obviously 63rd in the country quite average um 
And interestingly enough, teams love to go for it on fourth down against UCF, and they've been successful in doing so. Uh, opponents are 71% on fourth down against UCF this year, which is, which is kind of mind-blowing. Um, red, zone, uh, red zone offense for UCF, again, very average, I would say, overall. 58th in the country at um, 85%. Now, that's any kind of scoring, that they how they measure that. Do you get any points on any drive? Not so much red zone touchdown percentage, but um, still something to be... Um, to be mindful of, even though UCF has the number one passing offense and number one total offense um, in the country. By the way, UCF's got to be better on third down on offense. They're averaging 40% conversion rate on third downs, which is 62nd in the country. Cincinnati's defense, 31% third down. That's like 17th best in the country. I mean, this team stop gets off the field. That's a game. Mm -hmm. One of the things to look for is getting on and off the field in this game because Cincinnati, I believe, they feel they can wear down a UCF. That's what they've been doing to these teams. They wore down SMU in the fourth quarter. They wear down Memphis in the second half. They've shut down Houston. I mean, that's what they do. They just put their will in. And one of the interesting factors, you know, we were all there uh, two years ago when college game day was there, and the the place was packed. It was probably the loudest that the bounce house has ever been. Well, you're not going to get that this time around. It's mm-hmm. probably going to be what eight to ten thousand, eleven thousand range of a, a number there, and it's an afternoon game. So the defense and UCF, they're going to have to get their emotions, I think, from a different level. In fact, Luke Fickle even said, "Look, playing at UCF is going to be a little different. It's going to come down to emotions in this game." To go down, obviously, will be a little bit different. We'll, we'll, there'll be some fans in the stands, but the last time we were down at UCF, it was a crazy, crazy environment, and. Um, so without you know the, the the true crazy environment, it's going to be a emotional game. Um, you know, after what we did last year and had the ability to pull pull it out <clears throat> there at the end of the game, uh, I know that they've been uh, they've been kind of waiting for this, and, and this is a great opportunity for two of the more talented teams in our league to 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 play. And uh, you know, UCF to me has been the most talented team in the league since I've been in the league. So I think our guys understand that. They understand that. Um, from the last three times we played them, especially the older guys, um, at what to expect. So it's it's uh, it's a big week. It's it's a really tough one to kind of prepare for because of the speed and the tempo of things. Um, but it's good that we've actually played them a few times and, and have a better grasp of uh, what to expect, at least from the speed and tempo-wise. That was Luke Hype, uh, Luke Fickle, talking about... <laughs> hey, listen. Hey. <laughs> what a great name, Luke Heipel. Uh, I Speaking of Heipel, Murph, you had an interesting question you you addressed with Hypel about Cincinnati's defense, didn't you? Yeah, it's obviously the, the the topic of the week, really. How does this offense, you know, go up against that defense? So I just basically asked Hypel out, you know, straight up, what does he see as the challenges that you need to, you know, that you think you're going to see from this top ranked defense? So obviously Cincinnati ranks in top ten in so many defensive categories. Um, what makes them just so good defensively when you watch them on film? I mean, out on the perimeter, they contest everything. Um, play a bunch of tight man coverage. Uh, up front, their front seven uh, is extremely physical. Uh, they defeat blocks. Um, they tackle well. Uh, they play extremely hard. They chase the football. And, uh, you know, for us, uh, I think you got to play extremely hard, snap to whistle to give yourself a chance to, to move the football. So there's Josh Heupel talking about the Cincinnati defense. And, guys, I wanted to sort of bring it back to something that, that Eric talked about and we all talked about, and we'll 
here in our interview here in a minute is, again, how critical this, this run game for Cincinnati is. Um, don't think that's obviously, you know, that's obviously not lost on the players at UCF. They know what their job is. And I think Cam Good said it pretty frankly this week where they, he was just asked straight up, you know, what do you guys have to do to win this game? And his entire answer was, we got to stop the quarterback. If we stop the quarterback, stop the run, it's over with. And so, yes, they're going to worry about Ritter, you know, passing the ball and their threats on the outside. But they know with Jared Dokes and Desmond Ritter running the ball, that is where this game will be won or lost. The uh, the interesting thing when I'm looking through through the rankings here is they're – their rushing offenses, or excuse me, their passing offense is a little bit average. They're 69th in the country at 224.7 a game. It's just the rushing offense has really been obviously carrying them. Now, efficiency-wise, Ritter's been pretty good at uh, at 153.62. That's 30th in the country. But um, you know, and obviously they scored a lot of points. But it's it's really it's been defense and running the ball. And if you can, you know, obviously we know that UCF's offense can try to make things a little bit uh, a little bit interesting but you know we're but you know, again we're looking at a situation where are we, are we going to see the best example of the 335 defense coming to coming to its fruition this week or what here I mean if you watch that tape that they just put out there with with Cincinnati versus ECU and you can see how that defense causes you problems because they've got guys like Jarrell Little who's the Walter Camp National Defensive Player of the Week for the last week really lining up all over the place, moving from side to side. There's a lot of movement in that second line, which makes it very difficult to diagnose of who's coming and who's going and who's got who's got who, who's guarding what. Um, there's a lot of movement there, a lot, and a lot of it creates a lot of confusion. We have seen UCF struggle with this setup before, famously against Tulsa, but also against Cincinnati last year. This is something that other teams have tried to do as well. But you have to have the talent to do it, right? We talked about this with Tulsa. You have to have the guys to actually pull it off. And Tulsa did, certainly with their linebackers, Xavier Collins, uh, 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 definitely. And with Jarrell Little and the guys they have in this very experienced, very senior-laden front seven and back end, uh, they have the guys who can, who can confuse UCF with this setup. We've seen it before. And now it's going to be up to UCF to, even though they know what's going to, you know, be faced, you know, to them this weekend, and they have to figure out a way to neutralize it. And that is going to be um, fascinating to watch. You know, guys, we've we every almost every week we hear something from UCF about how well they lined up in a in a in a formation that we didn't plan for or that we didn't see on film or you know, so we had to adjust. And UCF has done a pretty good job of adjusting um, in, in many games this year. I don't think they're going to have to adjust, at least to start, they're not going to have to adjust much because they know what kind of defense Cincinnati is going to bring toward them. It's now on UCF's, you know, it's on it's on their racket, to, to use a mixed metaphor, to to prove they can beat it. Now, uh, le- part of that might be obviously through the passing game that we've seen so far to this point. Now, let me ask you this. Yep. There's been some rumblings about maybe could this be the time that we see Trey Nixon come back? Anything on that front? Well, guess what? We did see Trey Nixon. I swear we saw him for the first time since week one. He was on the field uh, with the guys while they were going through like their pregame stretches, but he didn't do anything. He was sort of standing off the sidelines, and then when they all went in the locker room and got suited up, um, he was nowhere to be found. 
he did spend the game on the sideline. So he's certainly close. We know now that he has practiced um, for about two weeks, closing on about two weeks here. Uh, you know, we will do our, our, you know, our just our usual dance on Thursday where we're going to ask about Trey Nixon to Josh Heupel. We're probably not going to get a firm answer on it. I'm sorry. I don't know what else to do there. We will probably have to see Saturday again at around 2 o'clock when guys come out for pregame warm-ups what it looks like. And hopefully Trey's out there because this is the kind of game, even though we talk about the embarrassment of riches that UCF has on offense, this is the kind of game where you need all hands on deck. Yeah. Well, I mean, this would be a heck of a game for him to come back for, wouldn't it? <laughs> you know, it's, it could be it, a new little wrinkle. It could be a new, I mean, that's yeah. the thing. Because we've, we've, I mean, we've already seen what this offense can do, you know, in the last four games without him. You know, that's not to say that, you know, that's not to say that they, it makes it seem like he's, he's disposable. And obviously he's not. He's obviously an incredibly talented football player. But you add him to the mix of what we have seen so far, that's, you know, I, it, as good as Cincinnati's defense is, that's a tough task, isn't it? Well, it, it is, but remember, they faced Nixon last year and Gabe Davis and Marlon, I mean, and Adrian Killen. So it's not like Cincinnati's going to be surprised. I don't think they're like, oh, boy, another a- additional talent. Um, look, these two teams, look, there's talent on that secondary for Cincinnati. I mean, Gardner up there is one of the top corners there. There's a guy named Kobe Bryant Murph, who's a playmaker. Yep. I mean, that's a great name to be a, a <laughs> So... I think this is the one secondary can match up with UCF. I really do. Uh, I think that's going to be, you know, it. and there's going to be adjustments here. Uh, and let me give you a shout-out to Marcus Freeman, who is the actual defensive coordinator at Cincinnati. Obviously, Luke Fickle gets all the attention, and rightfully so. But I think Marcus Freeman is a rising star as far as a coordinator. Don't be surprised if he ends up being a Power 5 defensive coordinator in the future or a head coach somewhere else. I think he's done a heck of a job with that Bearcat defense is working with Luke Fickle. So... I think there's going to be wrinkles here. I think Luke Fickle is going to have another wrinkle added into this game. I don't know what it is, but he's going to, they're going to have another wrinkle defensively, and it's going to be about adjustments throughout this game. I think you, to, if you think that UCF is going to see one look the entire game, I think, you're, I think you're going to be surprised. I think both teams are going to have some wrinkles here, uh, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I'll give you this one stat to keep in mind Saturday. Cincinnati defensively this year has given up an average of 4.1 yards per play. That's top 10 in the country. UCF is in the top 15 in the country. Offensive yards per play, 7.2. You look at UCF's, uh, they've been held under five yards per play in the Josh Hypo era twice. One was the LSU Fiesta Bowl, which you were at, Murph, 4.1 yards per play. And then last year's game against Cincinnati was Mm 4.4 yards per play. If you look at the Luke Fickle era, one of the worst performances in yards per play was 2018 at UCF when UCF averaged 6.6 yards per play. Just keep a track of that stat. Whoever can get closer to their average, in my opinion, wins this football game. Mm -hmm. And we will see at 3.30 p.m. on ESPN. Good time slot, right, Eric? Yeah, especially now that there's no CBS uh, SEC game at 3.30. They're going to be putting the Mountain West. Good luck with that. (laughs) Uh, So I think there'll be a good game. Mark Jones and uh, Dusty Dvorak will be doing the game with Quinn Kestenich down on the sideline. So should be a fun game. Uh, I think it's a very highly anticipated game in the league. And, uh, you know, so it's going to be a lot of fun. And by the way, for those wondering if Trey gets to play or not, 
My suggestion is just follow Spokes Murphy on game days. He will tell you who is going to play before anybody else does. He's the woge of college football pregames as far as who's dressing and who's not dressing and how do they look on the field. Just follow him at Spokes underscore Murph for his updates, which is covered by everybody now. It's unbelievable. Like People are reading it. I'll tweet out, Trey Nixon is targeting playing in this game. That's exactly what I'll do. A tribute to Woj. It's fantastic. We've got so all right. So um, I don't know who else is on the uh, is on the slate uh, after that. Just or, or across from us, right? Other than well, the uh, Big Ten has Wisconsin against Northwestern in, on ABC, which is a pretty significant game in their division over there. It, it so is, but, that, but that's not a matchup. That's like whoa. It's not. It's not like Wisconsin against Penn State or something like that, right? Well, I mean that the winner of that game is probably going to go to the Big Ten. Fight a championship game to get blown out by Ohio State. So I mean, there, you got that. <laughs> well, that's that's one way to put it. Well, it's still good time slot for UCF. That's and, right. a, cha- you know and a chance best- to get a and a chance to get a big uh, to be, get a big home victory. What's what, what was that, Eric? Well, think about this, and we'll give this answer maybe later on the show. Think of the last time UCF beat a top ten team in the regular season. Now we know they did it in the bowl season. Baylor in the Fiesta Bowl, Auburn, obviously, the Peach Bowl, top 10 teams. But I'm talking regular season game. Think about the last time they beat a top 10 team in the regular season. Do you remember? Top 10 team? Yeah, in the regular season. The regular season. Mm. This is where we need the great – this is where we could have used the Jeopardy theme right here in honor of okay. Alex Trebek right here. <laughs> As I, uh, I, I know, I know, I know. In eighteen, when Cincinnati was here, they were top twenty-five. Right, right, right. But not top ten. But they weren't top ten. Um, you got me on that one. You and I were uh, watched this game together, Jeffrey, and and Murph was in California. That's my hint. <laughs> Ooh. So basically, so Jeff, what he's saying is it happened between two thousand and two thousand and nine and twenty in twenty fifteen, basically. Hmm. Drawing a blank. I, I I don't have it. I should know this. 20, 2013 at number eight ranked Louisville, Louisville Teddy right. Bridgewater. Well, that was a road game though. That wasn't a home game. Right, but a top ten team in the regular. Still a top ten team. Game. Regular, I right. Top ten in the regular. I mean, home game. That's a. I mean, we got to go way back on that. Way back. Yeah. Like maybe. Well, in fact, you could find that out on BlackandGoBanneret.com. Am my top twenty-five? Greatest games in the bounce house. That's right. Which top 10 team was the last time they won at home, which was actually uh, Houston 09. That was, that's right. Because that's right. Houston was in the top 10. And 09, yeah. In yeah, 09. Kevin I, Sumlin, those, team. That's right. And that was UCF's first ever win over a ranked opponent, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Well, I don't know about that part. I don't know about that part, but I know it was the top 10 at home. Murph, were you yeah. at that game? Did you cover that game as a student? No, I left I left for California a few months before that game. Wow. Yeah. Boy, you missed out. Unbelievable. Still, congrats. Hey, listen. It's going to be a good one, 3.30 p.m. Um, we will have a preview coming up uh, a little bit later on this week. We'll have uh, all of our usual stuff. Round table is going to be coming out. Um it's it, this. This is a live version of Night Shift. A live game. Night Shift post game. Yeah, which... Andrew Glukov. We had a great post game live on Saturday night at midnight. I felt like I was Dana Carvey. 
hosting on Saturday Night Live there. And uh, for those wondering, we will get Murph back on live for, at some point during that show. We, we gave him the night off because, well, it was midnight. But you'll be back, right, Murph, live. People wanted you. They missed you live. I figure I can join this week, depending on, you know, how things go. We'll see. Yeah. And a chance you know. to really spoil things, not just for Cincinnati, but probably for the rest of the conference as well. <laughs> if uh, UCF yeah. does knock off Cincinnati. Isn't that interesting, too, where you know UCF can end up spoiling the party? Because that would clearly open up uh, a New Year's Six spot for BYU if they went out, right? Well, I think they could both still. I don't. BYU could still get in, even with if the American is represented or CUSA. They could get both of them in. Like BYU is kind of like a Power Five. They tra- they're kind of weird because they're not a Power Five, but they're sometimes they're treated like a Power Five. So, but they don't have a uh, sweetheart deal like Notre Dame has. Uh, I've seen them in the bowl projections. They have them in the Fiesta Bowl, and they have Cincinnati in the Peach. So, hmm. speaking of which, uh, check out your AAC bowl projections. Also, that's from right, Drew and Eric yeah. on Black and Gold All right, let's put the plugs aside for a second and plug something else. When we return, we will talk a little bit more about the Cincinnati Bearcats with Clayton Truder of our uh, sister site on SB Nation down the drive. Uh, And then we will also talk about uh, Eric's listicle on the uh, 25 greatest games in uh, Bounce House history when we return. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We're back after this. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you. And uh, earlier today, we linked up with uh, one of our friends from the SB Nation uh, Network, uh, family of team sites, uh, our sister site covering the Cincinnati Bearcats down the drive. Uh, we met up with uh, Clayton Truder, who covers uh, Cincinnati Bearcats uh, football for uh, for down the drive, along with being a, uh, you know, he's a he's a history PhD from Boston College, guys. Did you know that? Austin College, huh? Yeah. That's pretty History, good. Dr. Clayton Truder of Down the Drive joined us to talk uh, about the uh, Cincinnati Bearcats coming in. Here's our interview with uh, Clayton. Clayton Truder from Down the Drive. How are you, bud? Nice to see you here on this uh, Wednesday night uh, as we get ready for the biggest game of the year between these uh, two squads. How's it going? Doing well. Very nervous about the game, though, certainly. You're nervous? Oh, indeed. <laughs> really? Because <laughs> we're nervous. Well, I mean, I speak for my, I'm always nervous. You can ask Eric. Like, I, I'm, you know, we're, we're getting ready to play, you know, I mean, you name it, South Florida. And I'm like, how are we going to blow this one? But yeah, he's uh, right about that. And uh, the difference is this time there's legitimate con- reasons <laughs> to be concerned because we're playing a, a, a great team here, a top 10 team, Cincinnati. I mean, what has this been like for you, Clayton? What's it been like this season? I know it's been unique with everything going on, but this Bearcats team has dominated this season on both sides of the ball, and the national media is giving you some love as a result. It, it's kind of been a tale of two seasons so far. Early on, they sort of seemed like a disappointing success in certain respects. Ritter wasn't playing that well. The early games were competitive longer than they should have been. But all of a sudden, the last four weeks, they've been just knocking people out left and right. So it's it's kind of tough to know which team moving forward the Bearcats are going to be. Are they going to be the team that struggled with their, with their somewhat weaker opposition early on or the team that's risen to pounding on SMU and Memphis and the like in recent weeks? So it's really it's tough to know. I mean, coming into this week, I really have no idea what to expect. And certainly you can't fool around with uh, Central Florida. You guys are one of the most explosive teams in the country. 
Well, this is, you know, the matchup of the top offense in the American against the top uh, defense in the American. It's an uh, interesting note here that uh, is that you, this is the first time that UCF has been a home underdog in four years since the Tulsa game in 2016. So, um, I mean, I, obviously we know what we're concerned about on your side. We've been following since the whole year. But from your perspective, what concerns you the most about facing UCF? Well, first of all, home dogs are who I always bet on. That is my go-to bet in all instances. So I, if, if I had no association with this game, I'd be like, I'm going to pick UCF in this game. <laughs> Your ability to move the ball so quickly is, is very concerning. I mean, I think you have the best receiving tandem in the conference. Uh, Gabriel's been a fantastic quarterback. You move the ball effectively on the ground with, with a range of different backs. I think we'll be able to move the ball against you. I think Randy Shannon's got some things going on with the defense. But it strikes me just man for man, um, Cincinnati should be able to move the ball in this game unless Ritter regresses back to what he was like early in the season. Um, I mean, I find uh, Richie Grant is a particularly impressive tackling machine from what I've seen. But for the most part, I think Cincinnati should be able to assert its will on offense. My concern is simply, will Cincinnati live up to its reputation on defense and be able to stop the juggernaut that you guys have? Now, that's that's interesting to me because, you know, I'm looking at your guys' numbers right now in the NCAA rankings. This is the number three scoring defense in the country. Uh, the number four t- uh, team in terms of lowest pass efficiency allowed. Your top 10 in total defense. Mm-hmm. What's been the formula for Luke Fickle regarding regarding getting this defense to the point where it really is an elite defense nationally? I think as much as anything, they're a conventionally tough team. And I mean this in terms of simply tackling. They've got several linebackers that all just go sideline to sideline and make the stops they need to. They have James Wiggins coming up from safety, who's basically like another linebacker too. So they can just physically assert their will against their opponents, particularly with the back end of their defense, which is an excellent uh, tackling secondary. So I I think simply just being – tough in the conventional football sense is what Cincinnati's thrived on over recent years. And I think Fickle sets the tone for that, that this is going to be very steady, determined, deliberate kind of team and, and, and the way they play. They really don't do anything fancy. They don't, they don't rush the passer especially well. That's, that's been a concern of me moving uh, as, as the season's moved on. I mean, my Jay Sanders is an excellent pass rusher. Uh, Van, you know, gets back there sometimes, but there really aren't, there really isn't a, a cadre of effective pass rushers on this team. And if Cincinnati cannot do that against uh, Gabriel, I'm very concerned about uh, their ability to stop this team over the course of four quarters. Well, there's been so much talk about your scheme, the Cincinnati scheme, going back to last year's game when, you know, Luke Fickle surprised everybody with the little, the mm-hmm. defensive scheme. He brought out the three, three, five defense, which we worked on during the off season. We at black and gold Benaret have appreciated that because how many articles Jeff have we written about that scheme? We, <laughs> our oh staff God. has written about that. <laughs> we've, uh, we've written about the three, three, five defense more than I think anyone has ever cared to write about that scheme in the history, in, in the history of football, to be honest with you. And are still writing about it this week. So just yeah. tell us a little bit about that scheme and what makes this unique. And I know it starts the linebacking play, uh, which is something, you know, the UCF's lost to Tulsa's, you know, Tulsa's linebackers gave UCF problems there. Part of that, they used a similar scheme. So just talk about the scheme and your linebackers in particular within that scheme. Well, certainly Jarrell White and uh, Beavers are among the best linebackers in the conference, but we really have four or five guys who play regularly as a part of this rotation. In many ways, it seems like a bend but don't break defense in, t- in, in, terms, of, in terms of its approach, that they're trying to prevent the big play, 
tactically. This year, they've been able to even kind of mitigate even kind of medium range uh, assaults against them. So I, I think by playing a fairly conservative defensive scheme, they found a way to um, to alleviate the the kind of big play offense that has emerged in the AAC in recent years. Um, that certainly will be the hope for Saturday that they'll be able to prevent uh, Central Florida's offense from 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 uh, producing the kind of big plays you've seen in recent weeks against them. Uh, I go back and I watch your guys film and I feel like it's very, the team I saw play Tulsa and the team I saw play Temple are two radically different teams. It seems like to me uh, on both sides of the ball, it just seemed like um, the, the Temple, the game against Temple, you guys were in complete control also against Houston. You guys just, you guys just beat them up. It seemed like to me physically uh, on the, on the offensive and defensive front. So I think uh, Cincinnati, if they can prevent big plays, they'll certainly uh, they'll certainly have have an excellent chance this weekend. You mentioned earlier about the issues that Desmond Ritter had early in the season that he figured it out. What 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 were the things that he was able to figure out that have turned him into um, an elite quarterback in the American? He was fairly indecisive in the early weeks of the season. As much as anything, I think he embraced what his identity as a quarterback is, which is is as a scrambler. He's been putting up gaudy running numbers the past four weeks, and I think allowing him to rely on that aspect of his game, running down the field like a deer, it seems like many times, that is that has enabled him to um, to perform at what seems like his maximum potential and become one of the elite quarterbacks in the AAC. Uh, I, I think as a passer, he's not quite as precise as some of the other, you know, uh, Ehlers or Gabriel or some of the other quarterbacks in the conference. But um, but by by embracing uh, a running oriented uh, quarterback play, he's been able to to become the quarterback he seemed like in his first year. If you go back to two years ago, the thing I thought most about Ritter was he was a guy who could just step in, uh, step in, uh, step in poop and turn it into gold. Like any situation, he'd be third and seventeen. It didn't matter. He just kind of made it happen. That dissipated a little bit last year. This year, early on, he sort of the issues he faced in his second year as a starter seemed to be popping up again. He was throwing some bad interceptions. He was making some poor decisions, missing passers. But as he's reasserted the running aspect of his game, it has opened more things up for him that maybe his skills as a passer would not allow if he was simply uh, a more traditional um, game manager. You're well, seven. It, oh, go ahead, Eric. I'm sorry. Well, and I wanted to expand on, on him as a runner because I think that's been a big part of your success offensively because I'll be honest, Clayton, going into the season, I wasn't really – optimistic about Cincinnati's chances this season. I kind of dismissed them because of Michael Warren, yeah, I, who I thought was a phenomenal running back. And I didn't think, man, how are they going to replace that production and offensively? And he's helped them as far as that running game, as well as Jared jokes and, mm -hmm. and even Jerome Ford. I know it's gotten carries there. And that's obviously that running game still very successful. Averaging over six yards a carry as a team. Just talk about that running game and how it's been so successful. Cause I think Ritter has been a big factor in that. Absolutely. And in many respects, I think he is the genuine replacement for Warren more than Dokes or Ford or even Charles McClellan, who is featured a little bit has um, Cincinnati. I mean, Dokes struggled early on in the season as Ritter struggled too, in terms of his, uh, in terms of his running production, as Ritter opened things up, Dokes has opened up more and Ford has contributed more as a changeup kind of back recently too. So I think Ritter has become the, the driving force in their success running the football, even more so than Dokes who certainly is very effective by the goal line. I don't think he's quite the runner that Michael Warren was in terms of his durability, in terms of his explosiveness either. Uh, over time, as Jerome Ford gets more experience, I think he may end up being 
closer to a Michael Warren type back. But uh, yeah, I mean, Ritter is really the straw that stirs the drink in terms of the running game at this point. You guys are seven and zero right now. The mm-hmm. uh, outside chance CFP talk is quite hot around Cincy at this point mm-hmm. uh, between between the Bearcats and BYU potentially as a non uh, automatic five conference participant. Here's the thing about Cincy's schedule that I think was really interesting though uh, is six of your first seven were at home, and mm-hmm. now you're coming up on this three game stretch on the road at UCF at temple at Tulsa. And who knows, you may end up having to face Tulsa again in the American championship game on the night on December the 19th. Um, are are there concerns about, you know, Hey, we really haven't been tested on the road just yet. Cause the one road game you had, you guys blew out SMU and I thought was pretty convincing fashion. Absolutely. That's both this game and Tulsa are incredibly concerning. Tulsa has been rescheduled. That was supposed to be, I think, our third game. And certainly they've been a very impressive club throughout the season thus far. They move the ball incredibly well, too, and also have a pretty stout defense, uh, as, as I, I mean, I saw on the tape of you guys against them. Um, I think both those games are very concerning and definitely um will be difficult for Cincinnati to maintain its, uh, maintain its course. Um, I uh, for to be frank, would be surprised if they end up 10 and zero with the uh, slate they have remaining. It's a, uh, it's a very tough road to hoe for them. But if they get to 10 and zero, you think that you think that uh, the Bearcats have a shot of getting in, if they win the American of, of getting, getting that fourth I, slot. I, th- I, th- I think that, I think they have a shot and I think they should, but I'm, I'm not sure. I think, to me, the idea that Ohio State is still ranked so highly, having played, I know it's not their fault, but they've only played three games. It's its completely based on reputation and not on resume at this point. I mean, certainly they'll have a resume builder this weekend after Indiana, but um, I mean, Alabama is that saying resume. something. <laughs> yes, I mean, yeah, they play Indiana. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, very, very weird to say. Um, yeah, I, I happened to catch the last two minutes of that game where they beat Penn State, and I figured, well, that's the biggest win they'll have for like 40 years. Right. But then they have kept winning and winning and winning. Um, I mean, if you look at the other teams up there, I mean, Alabama certainly built a resume. Notre Dame has a resume uh, at this point after beating Clemson. Um, I don't know that Ohio State really belongs in the, that conversation at this point, but just because of their reputation, they'll certainly be a part of it. And if they and if they're undefeated, they'll certainly go in ahead of uh, Cincinnati. So. I if I had to if I had to pick their chances I think if Cincinnati's undefeated uh, wins the conference they'll have about I think a one third chance of making it a lot of stuff will have to shake out their direction I mean just seeing Florida and Texas A&M being ranked ahead of them seeing BYU in some polls being ahead of them I mean Kirk Herbstreit had uh, had Cincinnati down at number ten in his poll this week uh, so it's um, I mean the, the as you guys know better than anybody the respect factor in the Americans a very difficult. Uh, thing to to come by tell me about it we've been telling everybody for for three four years now unbelievable so eric uh last question to you well yeah i want to ask you about your secondary uh ahmad gardner in particular i enjoy watching play i i think he's going to be a great player the next level in the nfl but i know he's not the only guy in that secondary just that secondary i mean dana hogerson of houston says you can't throw over them like it's it's wasting your time to go vertical against that secondary i mean that's at the yeah. ultimate respect and we learned that, that last year too because you guys did not let gabe davis go deep and he caught like a, yeah. i think i forget 13 or 14 balls but they were all short hmm. yeah so i'm kind of fascinated i'm kind of one of the things i'm looking forward to seeing is seeing if Ahmad gardner gets placed on marlon williams could be a great fun one-on-one yes. matchup but talk about that secondary led by gardner 
Well, Kobe Bryant also is a fantastic uh, corner as well. A ball yep. hawk, much yep. like Gardner. Um, I think James Wiggins is the most impressive guy in the secondary, though, who's their free safety, who essentially steps up and, and is like a linebacker, something of a Ronnie Lott going back type player, just such a, a physical presence and the team's leading tackler or one of the team's leading tacklers uh, and asserts himself in the running game. So they have a very versatile uh, secondary that contributes both in terms of pass coverage and also is a, is a strong tackling team exactly as Luke fickle um, Luke fickle uh, wants his uh, teams to be. Let me ask you about Luke fickle. You mentioned, we talked about Ohio state earlier. Obviously he came from Ohio state. I've been so impressed with him. I had a friend of mine that had lunch with him uh, early this year before everything, you know, Mm-hmm. The year went straight, you know, went down south. But he was so impressed with him and, and and his philosophy about recruiting the area of Cincinnati, this, you know, talking about Ohio State recruits so much nationally that there's still so much talent in Ohio and he's mm-hmm. taking care of that. Just talk about that, him and the impact he's had for them. Because I've been really impressed. And I don't know if people really appreciate the job he's done there turning around this program where it was when Tommy Tuberville left it in the in the bottom. It- leaving it in utter disarray and also an embarrassment in all kinds of respects. Um, just the way he presented himself in his latter years. Uh, I mean, Tuberville would talk openly like, well, you know, there's nothing wrong with going seven and five. I mean, how condescending he was to the fan base. Like, well, it's not Auburn. Who cares if we don't, you know, win 10 or 11 or 12 games um, in terms of fickle of any coach I see in the country. If he came in my living room and was trying to recruit my son, he's exactly the kind of guy I want my kid to go play for. He's just such a such a steady, uh, straightforward presence. Um, he he seems like the the builder of programs and the builder of men in the approach he takes to the team. Um, there's never been a time where I ever thought this guy is going to embarrass the program in any respect. He's he's um, in many ways the model for the the kind of representative ambassador you want for your university. I think that plays well, both in terms of the PR aspects of being a coach, as well as on the recruiting side of things too. He's um, wherever, if, if he ends up leaving Cincinnati, I think he'll be a successful long-term program builder wherever he ends up. Um, some people think he's more likely to leave than others. I'm a little hesitant to think that since he turned down some big 10 jobs last year, I really see primarily he would leave for basically two jobs either Ohio state or Notre Dame. He seems to have some connections to them. I know he's Catholic. He has some other connections, I guess, to Notre Dame as well. If either of those jobs came open, he would strike me as being one of the main candidates for either of those gigs. But so you don't I, see him as a, you don't see him as a candidate at USC, for example, with the AD connection there. I, that that's another possibility, but I think, I think the, the possibilities are, are quite limited. Um, I mean, he, he turned down a couple of big 10 jobs last year. So it's, uh, he, he seems to be rather picky about the jobs he's taking. And I think that helps also to elevate Cincinnati's brand as well, that he's not just going to jump at a job simply because it's in a power conference. Well, we know how that feels. Yes. <laughs> so, okay. It's funny how things kind of walk in parallel in this conference. But uh, Clayton Truder from Down the Drive. Listen, Clayton, uh, before I let you go, uh, tell UCF fans where uh, they can find you on the interwebs. Um, they can find me at downthedrive.com or at downthedrive on Twitter. You can find me personally on Twitter at Clayton Truter, C-L-A-Y-T-O-N-T-R-U-T-O-R. Um, and just another quick plug, I have a book coming out next year about the history of professional sports in Atlanta with the University of Nebraska Press. More details soon on my Twitter account. Nice, because we, we got a lot. Well, I know we have a lot of nights in Atlanta who are still who are Atlanta fans. And, you know, we saw them come out and force 
in the Peach Bowl a couple of years ago, uh, and uh, I'm sure they'll be able, they'll definitely be willing to uh, check that out. So that should be uh, that should be a lot of fun. Thank you for thank you so much for taking the time, Clayton. Uh, enjoy the game. Will you be down here? You're going to be up there. I'm going to be up there. Okay, cool. So uh, we'll keep an I'll keep an eye out on the game. Three thirty kick uh, on ESPN should be a good one. Clayton Tudor, thanks for joining us, man. All right, thank you guys for your time. Have a nice evening. Best of luck in the game. All right, thanks again to Clayton for his insight on the uh, Bearcats 3.30 p.m. kick on ESPN uh, at, uh, at the Bounce House. Should be a fun one. Uh, we will all be there. Murphy will be in the press box. I will be at the game. Uh, Eric, you will be watching on TV, I imagine? Absolutely. Prepping for the postgame night shift. Make yes. sure, folks, you go to the YouTube page for Black and Go Banneret. Jeff, you can tell them where the YouTube page is and subscribe. We're going to be doing more videos as time goes on. Really, and, and, and all of you are big credit. More of you are, are tuning into our podcast and our content. And we're, so we're, we're rewarding you. You know, we appreciate the support and we're going to give you more content. We have a live post game. Me and Andrew Glukoff will recap the UCF Cincinnati game. We'll, you'll have, we'll share, we'll answer your questions. And as Murph mentioned, we'll have Murph uh, at some point from the bounce house or maybe in his car uh, give his thoughts from the on site. So a uh, big, big post game night shift there. Yeah, I love that you guys are doing. I, you know, we tried doing it before. I just couldn't. Yeah, I, I, I personally like I, I just couldn't do it anymore. But I'm glad you guys have picked up the baton on that. I, I can't appreciate. I can't tell well, you how much I appreciate it. I got to do something at home. <laughs> and quarantine well it's one thing that we've gotten from quarantine isn't it <laughs> yeah pretty much and we're gonna do more of this night shift not just for football but we will do this with basketball murph we're gonna do the little hoops there as well so hey i'm all about it uh I, i'll be coming to you live boy if it's basketball we're gonna have to probably have me coming to you live from some interesting positions since there's not a lot of whole there's not a lot of good internet inside <laughs> I, the stadium i don't want so to I, Something tells, tell me we're gonna, something tells me we're going to get to know your vehicle very well, Murph. Yes. Yeah, I could be coming to you live from the handicapped spots outside of Daniel. Live, live, from, live from the Murph Mobile. <laughs> live from an 06 Honda. <laughs> so, uh, but in the meantime, yes, after the game, 3.30 kick. Uh, so, yeah, what about, what, about 7.30-ish. Keep an eye on our Twitter account, twitter.com slash UCF underscore banneret for the latest. We put it up on Twitter. We put it up on Facebook, and we put it up on our YouTube channel, so it goes to all three places so you can watch. Um, all right, moving right along, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, what we had. We talked to Clayton, but now we listen. This game goes down. All right, if UCF wins, this would undoubtedly be one of the top games ever at the Bounce House. And Eric, you wrote earlier this week. Uh, we finally got it up there, and thanks for pulling this together. 25 greatest games in uh, Bounce House history, and uh, I'm going to bring it up here. But I, really, I, I wanted you just—I want to start by asking, what was the thing that kind of at least plugged this into your brain so that you wanted to do it? Well, I mean, part of it is you know we had Andrew Glukoff do the 25—you uh, know, this is the 25th season of UCF football in the FBS and he did the all time team. And I think we all agree. One of the more significant moments of this program's history, uh, since they joined the FBS was getting the on-campus stadium. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's been a difference maker with the environment and everything. And so I wanted to do a 25 best games in part to honor the 25th season of UCF football in the FBS level. Uh, and I think the on-campus stadium has helped this program become a consistent, 
a top 25 program, really. So I wanted to do that with some of the marquee home games, especially, you know, let's be honest, the majority of us, myself included, this is the first year that I will not see a UCF football game in person since 2004. So it's been a little unique. So I, and I know I'm not alone in that. So I kind of, it was just kind of cool to get some look back at some of the games from the past. And I know I've had some feedback from people that appreciated that they were at those games um, because we've had some great moments at home and some marquee games. And that was kind of the reasoning behind it. A lot of interesting moments. And this could be another chapter. Like you mentioned this Saturday against Cincinnati, a top 10 team coming into the bounce house. Uh, you got to go back to that, you know, number uh, top 10 win against Houston back in November 14th, 2009. That was the program's first win over a top 25 team. It was that homecoming game. Uh, now, Houston was ranked 12th. Now, depending on which polls you look at, they were a little bit outside the top 10. So they weren't top 10, but that was the first win over a top 25 yeah. team. 37 32 so, that yeah. day. So that was number, that's the, the eighth. I have it rated eighth. Uh, that is the best, eighth best game at home there. And that was a great game, too. So just kind of wanted to share a lot of that leading up to the Cincinnati game. Yeah, I was actually, I remember I was actually at that game. And it was interesting watching Houston. They kind of played right into UCF's hands in that respect uh, in that game back then. That was when uh, we still had the, uh, we still had the black jerseys at the time, but the white helmets. Um, boy, UCF style has come a long way. I don't want to spoil too much of it here because I, because we want you obviously to read the article. Um, love to know how many of you have been to all twenty five of these games, though. By the way, I think there was well, there were a couple of there were a couple of controversial things that you and uh, Drew were talking about uh, in the uh, in the group chat, though, right? In terms of switching, so you said you could switch number three and four, which number four is the two thousand seven conference USA championship at UCF beat Tulsa. Number three was the uh, uh, 2018 American Championship, right. second in as many years. Uh, that was the Daryl Matt game. Yeah, um, and, I'll, and I and I and look, I mean, they're both great games. I defer to both of you. You both were at the Daryl Matt game, Jeff. I've no, I I've known you for a wow, what, 15 years? Yeah, something like that. I don't ever remember having the as excited as you were, or as the chills that you had, than the following that game like that's i think that's one of your favorite games it, it ever was, yeah right? it really it really was for me personally because it was you can tell that the entire the entire stadium that day even more than the game the year before with you know is frost you know is frost leaving you know all that kind of thing you know are we going to go undefeated i felt like the emotion of the 2018 game was a lot more raw because of uh because of mckenzie milton and, you know, how is this team going to come out and play in this first game really without him? You know, we, he was still in the hospital back in Tampa. Um, it was it was just a really raw emotional day. And the plot of that game did not do well for anyone's um, <laughs> blood pressure. Certainly not mine <laughs> uh, that day uh, with the way Memphis kind of came out. Um, and Murph, you know, we were sitting next to each other that day, too, yeah. right? Yeah, I was gonna say, Jeff, wasn't I sitting next to you for that entire game? Yeah, it was. It was. A, it was a pretty nerve wracking time. But like that second half was just a. It, I don't know. It was, it, it was like a, a some a, some different force kind of took hold of the team, and and brought them to a, and brought them to uh, to a championship. You can call it second half, Randy Shannon. Call it whatever you want, but. Well, you can also call it Mike Norvell going into a shell yeah, call, once call, again. Call it, call it Mike. Uh, yeah, call it Mike Norvell doing Mike Norvell things. But, <laughs> um, 
Yeah, but but it was. Uh, I just I I will always remember the very raw emotion of that game and being on the field with the with the players and the coaches when it was over, um, <clears throat> and and you could see the the relief of winning that game too. And they, and they obviously they were all thinking of McKenzie, but they were all, I think highly relieved right. about, you know, how it all came down. Well, so. Down double digits. Remember the famous Josh Heupel raising his hands to get the crowd going. Yeah. It's a lumber. I just rem- and I just remember, uh, uh, you know, um, what's his name for, uh, for Memphis, just um, Daryl Henderson, Henderson, just <laughs> Mike. Yeah, I, yeah, I know. I, 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 well, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you try to block it out of your head, but like Daryl Henderson, just played such an amazing game. I mean, he was absolutely yeah. unstoppable. Fans were about 400 yards on the first three carries. It, it, like, like, it, felt, it felt like it felt like they, every time they gave it to him, it was just a 75 yard touchdown every single time. Oh it was, man, um, he was kind of like Kevin Smith was in 07 against the Tulsa game, ex- right? Ex- I mean, that's... except even more efficient because it wasn't ground and pound. They would just get it to him. So he threw a touchdown pass in that game. Oh, Remember that, right. Murph? Yep, yep. So that was good. It was, it was, so it was I, yeah, I have else. that game. And over the 07, look, the 07 was uh, special. It was the first conference championship game, and Kevin Smith played great. Mm-hmm. But I think the Memphis game is more significant. It was a more member. I think more fans remembered that game and the story you guys pro- provided. I think you both would agree. I think, Murph, were you at the 07 title game? Uh, yes, I was. Yes, you, I you, was. Could, you, you were at both. You're, you could kind of give a comparison of the two. I, I was probably in the press box for that one, too. Yeah, I mean, obviously, this is more fresh in my mind. And Again, the style of play and the emotions of that day in 18 outweigh anything in 07, which, yes, felt monumental because it was still the first year of that stadium. Uh, and, and UCF obviously was coming off of some some really, really, really bad seasons uh, just, a, you know, not that long you know prior. But uh, it, that, that felt more like a football win, right? That was a football game where a team played better than another and it won. And like, all right, that was great. But 2017 and 2018, with the Frost rumors in 17 and then the McKenzie injury in 18, they brought a completely different specter to to to, to the game, and yeah. so that's what makes those games stand out. And that's you know when I make this draft the, the the order, it's not based on hey just the greatness of the game. There's a, what are the what are the cir- circumstances around it? Like I have the Cincinnati game from 2018. Uh, I think I had it ranked, what, number five in the rankings? Now, yeah. you could argue that wasn't a great game. UCF dominated, but it was such a special night, right? It was ABC primetime. I've said this. It's probably the loudest I've ever heard that stadium. Uh, and it was obviously coming right after college game day that morning. So there's a lot of different factors that go behind the go uh, yeah. the reasoning behind these I, rankings. I think my only thing is I would have flipped two games. I would have flipped the Stanford game with the Boston College game. You don't like the BC game either. No, I, 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 re- I mean, I remember how significant it was, but I think that's one of those games where with time, it ended up, it ended up kind of, it kind of losing its luster because, Here's the- the, because both of those, t- because th- that UCF team in, in 2011 wasn't very good. And it turns out neither was Boston College that year. But I would argue that 2019, the Stanford game, that was a disappointment too. Uh, from that standpoint, here's the thing about the BC game. It's the Red Bandana game. It was a night game. Yeah, yeah, I know. You're and right. Luke Kuechly was on BC, and that was a Saturday night. That place was loud. Like I mentioned earlier about Cincinnati. I mean, that BC crowd 
top three all time as far as loudest at the bounce house. Probably right there with the 17 USF game. They were coming off the Liberty Bowl win, and Godfrey was fantastic, and the place was going. And I think people left that stadium thinking, man, this team could be really special. Unfortunately, they were not on the road that year, and that's why they struggled. Uh, whereas the Stanford game was a good game, but as we found out, Stanford wasn't very good either. And UCF didn't have the year that we thought they were. Because remember, a lot of people are like, man, they could go undefeated. They could be a playoff then, and then they lost to Pitt. So they're actually similar games. But I think that BC game, to a lot of people, that was a special night uh, very uh, against the BC. Which, remember, that was you're playing a, a, a Power 5 team, which wasn't well, as common. He, well, here's the thing. I, I'll, I'll defend the Stanford game by saying it was Dylan Gabriel's coming out party. And that's why I think it's going to become more significant over time. And then also the other factor, for me at least, was the TV audience. Uh, it was an ABC game um, in the – right? It was ABC, right? Or was ESPN. It ESPN. Oh, it was ESPN. Still, it was on, it was on, the, uh, it was on the mothership. Um, the BC game was shoved down to CBS Sports Network, unfortunately. Um, and it just, didn't, it just didn't have the panache of – the Stanford game coming in because remember at that time it was like okay this is a real interregional showdown um and yes you're right you know Stanford ended up not being as good as we thought but you know David Shaw coach team Pac-12 rare to see a Pac-12 team come this far east so it was at least interesting yeah, from, interesting unique. from that perspective and I think and I think there was a and heading into that game, there was a lot of talk about, okay, let's see how UCF does against the power conference opponent. Well, what did they do? They beat the crap out of Stanford in the first five minutes. And right. basically blew them off the field. Yeah, but Stanford wasn't very good. So, I mean, they did what they were supposed to do. I it will say, like, the yeah. thing about that, that Stanford game also, it was the absolute coronation of Dylan Gabriel, who then takes you into the next generation of UCF football. Right. Right. Yeah, that's there's, why there's, I think over time we'll look back on that as like, wow, you remember that game? Yeah, so the game might have not might not have been great because it wasn't tense. It was over in the second half and it was a blowout, whatever. But that game signifies a new era in UCF football led by a new quarterback. All right, that's fair. Yeah, I think so I, I think the, so the I, yeah I think the Stanford the, game ended up being what we thought the BC game would be. I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not arguing that they should be flipped. I'm only making a case for the Stanford game because uh, of, of what I think its significance is. Again, obviously, Gabriel started the week before, but there were still questions going into that Stanford game about who the starter would be. Uh, and, and then there were not questions. Yeah, yeah like, he, like the game before that was FAU, right? And he had a fairly mediocre game against FAU. No, he played well, and he started. That was like that was the big surprise, right? Like, Oh, yeah, Dylan you Gabriel broke started. the story. Yeah, you broke the story. No one, no one cares. Um, <laughs> that Dylan, Dylan Gabriel is starting, and so that was big. And and but but going into that Stanford game, there was still a question of, well, wait, I mean, you know, might they still go with Wimbush here? Or what happens when Matt, what happens when Matt gets healthy? All that was done. Uh, all that was done by about early in the second quarter. I don't know what it was. There was a touchdown throw down the right sideline to Trey Nixon. That was. Just like a total dime. It couldn't have placed it in his hands any better for a touchdown. Yeah. And you're like, that's it. It's over. Call it. He's he's the guy, and he is obviously the guy. He's the guy that year, this year, next year, hopefully in 2022. We'll see. 
Well, there was also the throw to Gabe Davis too, where he beat uh, Paulson Adebo. Adebo, yeah, that and was, yeah, and yeah. and Dylan put it right on him, right down the sideline. That was and and I was like, okay, all right, this is done now. We have our guy. <laughs> that's that's pretty much it. So. Whatever happens from there, I, I think that'll over time that one might move up in the ring. Now, right. Andrew Drew felt that the uh, USA title game against SMU should have been ahead of the BC game. Uh, my counter to that was that was kind of a snoo- snooze of a game. It was a 17-7 game. It was a noon game. I'll never forget. I was in the post game, and one of the local media asked him, George O'Leary, like, so what do you think about the fact that th- there was empty seats in the game? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that was it was kind of a sne- it was kind of a sneaky game in that respect. It's too bad because you know we won a championship that day. Yeah, I, you know, I yeah, agree. You know, I, I, it, I mean, that's why I think that the conference USA championship from two thousand seven. I'll always go back at that. Like that's that's a very important game. It's more important than the oh, Texas game was that year. It, it just was. So let me let me ask you both this: What is your personal favorite game at the Bounce House? Hmm. Oh boy, uh, I was actually thinking about this today, and I think it still might be the 2018 Cincinnati game. Um, really, because, over the USF yeah. game? More so than the USF game, because uh, you know that was my first year back covering USF football. I really hadn't gotten my feet on the ground yet. I wasn't covering the team every day. I wasn't going to all the press conferences. I didn't feel like a part of that group as much. I was really, I was really more there as a fan. I mean, guys, let's be—I'll be honest. So I went to that game, obviously, as media in 2017. And then I watched, you know, the Mike Hughes thing. Well, the Otis Anderson touchdown, the Mike Hughes touchdown. I was freaking out, like, as a fan on the field, like, literally just freaking out. I would, And I just went out that night, and I got completely wasted and uh, passed <laughs> out, uh, ended up passing out, like, in, in my, in my, in, like, on the threshold of my door. I just celebrated that entire night. I wasn't composed. I had nothing. Uh, there was nothing professional about me. So no, eighteen felt like it felt like I was you know really part of that team and 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 you know traveling to every game with them to every press conference. I really knew that team on the ins and outs. And you know again, I got to campus as did many others. I got to campus at about four a.m. that day because you you had to get the scene of what it was like for those who were camping out for game day and those who were lining up to get into the pinned-in area for game day. And they were lining up you know, 50 deep at 4 a.m., you know, and we're listening to Danny Cannell do a live radio hit at 5. Uh, the sun's not up. And it's and so you're there for almost, you know, 20 hours, you know, or, or, you know, you know, 19 hours of full football. And it culminates with this amazing atmosphere on ABC between two top 25 teams. And I think, I don't know, I don't know if I've always, I don't know if I've flip-flopped on this before, but to me, because I've been watching the highlights this week too, it might have still been the loudest environment that I was involved in for a UCF home game. The, the, the you know, uh, the, it was just, it was absolutely rocking. The punt block especially will always stand out to me. Yes, they didn't score a touchdown in the punt block and whatever, but that explosion off the punt block um, is is just absolutely branded into my mind. Field goal block, um, I think it was actually. Sorry, Murph. It was field goal block. block. Field yeah, goal, yeah. Field goal, yeah, field goal, field goal block. So, um, yeah, and return by Brandon Moore. Um, but and then and on the on the return, like they laid out the kicker and they laid out a couple other guys. Um, it was a uh, you know that that's that to me is probably the one that is my favorite because I, I yeah it's it's it feels it's I, I still can relive a lot of that entire day. My my favorite one was uh, you know I gotta say like of all the ones I know this is gonna surprise me but that two, that 07 conference USA championship. Um, 
you know, even though the game really wasn't in very much doubt, just, you know, how the, the performance of Kevin Smith, 284 yards on 39 carries, four touchdowns. And for me, the moment of that game was that, I think it was like a 75 or 80 yarder that he had that basically clinched the game late. Um, where he was getting face masked down the sideline. You remember that one? Oh yeah. And uh, and I was like, I was like, I remember when he got into the end zone and, and seeing that game. I was like, we did it. We finally won a conference title. Like, because you got to remember, like I, you know, like you guys, you know, to an extent. But like, you know, I remember what it was like being in, you know, for being a UCF fan and covering the team in basically college football purgatory, which is being a being a Division One. Uh, FBS independent, not named Notre Dame, and then you know the the disappointment of not you know getting an invitation to the Big East at the time, uh, the disappointment of you know, you know I don't want to say the disappointment, but like that settling for the MAC, right? Um, and then you know they, you finally get UCF into into I think a conference that was right sized for it at the time, which was Conference USA. And and you win a championship in your first year in that building um, with the best running back in school history, maybe the best running back, you know, certainly one of the best running backs in college football history. Uh, and to do it the way they did, it was it was a coronation. It was finally felt like, oh, God, we can finally do what we always wanted to do and hang a banner, you know, and, you know, no one can no one can dispute uh, about. You know, no one can dispute the fact that you won a conference championship uh, on your home turf, and that's to me that was that was the big that was the big one for me. That that uh, I I still feel euphoric even thinking about that one. That's good. No, I think those are. I mean, that's the beauty of this. Keep in mind, this is all like personal preference and choice. It's all subjective. Uh, you know, based on your experience in that time frame. No, it's not. These are the absolute diehard ironclad rankings in our heads, and nobody can change that, Eric. Don't don't go wishy-washying <laughs> this way. Jeez. I will say that Cincinnati, I mean, the Cincinnati, the whole day is probably the best day, football yeah. day. Best oh, day as ever, a whole, no doubt. Right? Yeah. Um, I, I think the best game, I mean, obviously it's going to be, I feel like I'm copying out, but I mean, that South Florida game, 17 I mean, with everything, what was at stake with both programs, the fan bases, the atmosphere, the game, it's lived up to it. And then some, I'll still never forget that game. That's the best football game I've been to at that stadium. And by the way, the following week was pretty good, too. So that was a heck of a two-week stretch. You had a little bit of everything, storylines off the field, on the field. Uh, Those are the two, the favorites that certainly jumps out. when you think about it between those two games? You picked a good time to be back, Mark. I, I remember when we talked to <laughs> we had that and we had that uh, that uh, uh, rewind with Trey Neal about that whole week, and uh, it was it was just as surreal for the players and the staff as it was for us. It so, really was. It really was. It yeah. was a kind of a surreal moment, and uh, it's uh, something that will never be forgotten. So I th- I would have those, but. Hey, we'll have more uh, down the road. Hopefully, uh, you know, down the road, more games there. But uh, this, we'll see if this one gets to be on that list at some point. 3.30 ABC uh, kickoff for – or sorry, 3.30 ESPN, excuse me, kickoff for UCF against Cincinnati. We'll see if that one ends up in the in the uh, the annals of the top 25 when all is said and done. By the way, we will have our first uh, – uh, a week from when we are recording this, November 25th, we will have our very first – 
non-UCF football event uh, uh, taking place uh, or, or will have taken place. Uh, the women's basketball team tips off their season against Virginia on ESPN Plus Wednesday, November 25th. That's the day before Thanksgiving at 6 p.m. Next week, we will have our basketball preview show. We are putting that together as we speak, um, getting everything ready for you to be fully uh, previewed and prepared for uh, both men's and women's basketball. Uh, UCF picked to finish second in the league, by the way. So, yeah. Uh, chances and by the way, that's pretty good. Second place. No UConn, baby. Yeah, no more UConn to worry about. Uh, they, they start on November 25th against uh, Virginia, and then they play in the SEC AAC Challenge at LSU in Baton Rouge on December Whoa, 4th. That's a Friday. What, are, you, are you dropping Jeff bombs here? Or no, I'm, no, this is all the way up there on the uh, on the schedule here, on the UCF Women's Basketball uh, schedule page. December 13th, Sunday, home for Florida Gulf Coast, and then December 21st, Monday, at Georgia Tech. So. Wow, that's big there. And then a few days later, UCF Men's opens against Oklahoma, Murph. Yep. And I know... Kevin, give a little tease. I know Johnny Dawkins spoke to the media this week. Yes, he did, and we'll we'll go more into it when we get to our uh, basketball preview show next week. But we did talk to Johnny, and we talked to Sean Mobley and Darren Green this week. Uh, you know, there wasn't a you know a ton of news out of it. I'll, I'll hit on that. I'll tell you on a couple of news bits in a minute. But you know, just going to talk to the guys and, and see what they've done. You know, during the summer, how they you know really for this team and for every team. You know, the the lot of talk of how do you keep, you know, how do you grow and foster chemistry when you're not allowed to be around each other and have your usual schedule, you know, during the spring and the summer? And Zoom that calls, time, that's how. <laughs> it, and it's not the same, right? Like, even the football team will tell you, like, it's just not the same. The offensive line will, you know, have said this year that you know, some of the reasons for their early struggle, it's just the lack of them being around each other before camp, uh, just physically not having that physical connection. Um, but, you know, what's funny is uh, one thing Darren Green said that I think kind of stuck out with me is I asked him what is one thing that he, that he sees on this team that's different from the team from last year. And he said that he thinks that this team connects more, that they're more bonded, which is interesting considering the climate, that that would be true. But he said, you know, obviously, you know, we've got a few guys coming in who are new, uh, uh, you know, some transfers and some freshmen, but they've really clicked with the team already. Um, but there's a lot of guys that have that are that are back from last season, and this certainly is not the 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 tear down rebuild that last that the the 2019-2020 season was, where they're replacing nine guys. This is not that. So, um, but it's you know it's 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 at least nice to hear that considering the year that it, this has been, that this team seems to be pretty decent on the chemistry front. Again, we won't know until we actually see them play. Um, but uh, that was something that stuck out to me. And then uh, the couple of news bits. Uh, one, uh, C.J. Walker, uh, we still don't know if he's eligible to play. And and look. The news is that know, there is no news. <laughs> that's right. And we, I know everyone wants to know. And my here is my, my word to you. You will know when C.J. Walker is eligible uh, as soon as the school does. Because as soon as the program knows he's eligible, they're going to plaster that all over social media. Yeah, um, he's so going to play. Not, <laughs> if he plays this year, he will be playing. It's going to happen. And, and they're not going to hide that if he becomes eligible. They're not going to hide that. Like I think they're going to they're going to promote that pretty big. So uh, you know, again, they're just still, they're still waiting for the NCAA to uh, approve his waiver. 
I, I heard that UCF got his waiver in kind of late, um, or you know, it took them a while to, 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 to submit his waiver. So that might be one of the reasons for the for the lag here. And if people are complaining that why hasn't this already been approved when the NCAA is approving other eligibility waivers, other programs like. I don't know, but I've heard that it took UCF some time to actually log the waiver. And again, I, I can't really get into all that and why that is. And then secondly, uh, just a, a good quote from Sean Mobley, a guy who we hadn't talked to before, um, who you know transferred in from VCU before last season and, and took a red shirt. And uh, I asked him about the schedule, the non-conference schedule to start off the year uh, with Oklahoma, Auburn, Florida State, Michigan. He said, I love it five times in a row. So, guys, he loves it. <laughs> and then he said uh, that he thinks people are overest- overestimating or overlooking or underestimating UCF, and that's why those schools are scheduling those games because they think they can play UCF and it'll be a quick, easy win, but that's not going to be the case. So, I don't know. I'm just Bulletin board material. Ah, a little spicy up there, huh? I would like a little more spice in our football press conferences. But if I can get some 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 cayenne pepper into my basketball pressers, that's fine too. That works. You know, works just the yeah. same on the recipe. Why not? We'll we'll talk more about all the stuff we heard from the guys uh, next week on the show as we try to put together a full preview. In addition, uh, hopefully, and and in addition to also previewing the War on I four on Friday, We're, our podcast is going to come out early. Uh, next uh, next week because it's the Thanksgiving holiday and we have families that we still want to that we still want to pay money to, so uh, it's not going to come out on uh, Thursday. It's going to come out earlier in the week. Stay tuned on our uh, Twitter account for all the latest UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter. Also Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret, and of course Black and Gold As we uh, wrap things up here, don't forget. Uh, we will be uh, covering the game live uh, between UCF and Cincinnati, 3.30. You can follow our Twitter account uh, and follow us right here on UCF Banneret, uh, on Black and Gold Banneret, rather, uh, where we will have the um, our live uh, thread for the game. Uh, and also, re- immediately after the game, uh, Drew and Eric will be on the night shift talking about it afterwards and fielding your questions on our YouTube channel, which you can link to, uh, which we will link to as well as soon as the uh, game uh, concludes. Uh, anything else I got to cover, guys? I think that's it, right? I think that's yeah. it. Yeah. Right. Well, I Murph mean, will be. Murph will make a cameo on that post game. That's so. what we're hoping for. Yeah, we'll see. Maybe. I'll try. We I don't know, know where that will be, but <laughs> it'll yeah, be. again, probably in some unnamed garage. Yeah. Uh, exactly. yeah. Well, I mean, we'll see. I hope so. If the game, if it's a nor- if it's a normal game. You know, then yeah, I'd probably be there. But you never know. Something crazy could always happen. <laughs> Either way, we'll be able to update you no matter where it, uh, no matter where it takes place. Uh, for all of us here at Black and Gold Banneret, thank you so much for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Enjoy the game, UCF Cincinnati, three thirty, and we will catch you. Next.